Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. By the Spirit. Matthew chapter 10. And we want to look at one verse in this 10th chapter. That's verse 39. And actually, I want to read it to you from the Amplified uh, Bible, so it may be a little bit different than what you have there in the King James, but it won't be that much different. I just want to bring out a thought here that I received from the Amplified Bible. But before we actually read the Scripture, shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, it's a delight, a privilege, and an honor to be able to study Your Word. I thank You, dear Father God, for the anointing of Your Spirit. The Word will go forth, dear Father God, to produce life. I thank You for receptive hearts, attentive ears, and open minds. In Jesus' name, as we now channel ourselves to receive from Your Word, You'll cause us to be living epistles of the living Christ, known and read of all men. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank You for it now. Amen. In verse 39, whosoever or whoever finds his lower life, and this is the key word I want to bring out in the Amplified Bible, whoever finds his lower life will lose the higher life, and whoever loses his lower life on my account will find the higher life. Once again, from the Amplified Bible, whoever finds his lower life will lose the higher life, and whoever loses the lower life or his lower life on my account will find the higher life. And what I want to do is really continue what I've been talking about on Wednesday nights. If you want to change the title of the sermon, we'll just call it The Higher Life. I do want to talk about The Higher Life. But I want to continue using the, the illustration that we've been using on Wednesday nights. And, and that is the difference between the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and, of course, the law of sin and death. And I illustrated that the difference in the, the two laws by using the law of gravity and the law of lift. And I think it's something we could relate to, something that's tangible, something that we can see, you know, something that we could uh, deal with because we know some things about the law of gravity. We know some things about the law of lift. We know that what goes up has got to come down unless there's a higher law applied you know, to it. And if that higher law has been applied to it, then, of course, it's going to successfully oppose the lower law. I think it's important we understand that in the spiritual realm there is a higher law and there is a lower law. The higher law is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The lower law is the law of sin and death. And it's important we understand that, that it's not automatic. In other words, you just can't, you know, get an airplane on the ground and just say, well, I want you to fly. Just because it's an airplane, just because it looks like it should fly, or you know that it can fly, doesn't mean it's going to fly. You've got to apply certain laws, which is the law of lift and aerodynamic force. If it's applied to that airplane, then it's going to do what? It's going to fly. It will successfully oppose the law of gravity. Now, the law of gravity is still working on it. We realize that it's still working because if the law of gravity wasn't working, then it would just take off in outer space. We'd all just take off, wouldn't we? You know, we wouldn't, you know, be down on this earth right now. And, you know, when you get out into outer space, they don't have gravity out there. And we'd see that man could just float around out there. But we see that the law of, of gravity is still working even though a higher law has been set into motion, the law of aerodynamic force or the law of lift. And that causes that airplane to successfully oppose or stand against the law of gravity. And, you know, it's nice to be up there in them clouds. I'm sure you've been up there, you know. Um, my wife and I had one opportunity of flying, and uh, we'd been up there one time, and, you know, for the first time we thought it was pretty neat <laughs> to be up there and just say, boy, this cer certainly beats driving all, all the way. You can do in a couple hours. It would take you about 20 hours to drive, and, and we enjoyed it. But, you know, 
did you ever stop and think about what would happen if the law that was being applied to that airplane, the aerodynamic force, the law of lift, stopped functioning? Hmm, something to think about when you're quite a few thousand feet up in the sky. Isn't that true? Well, the same thing is true with our spiritual experience and our Christian walk. Just because we're born again blood-washed believers doesn't mean that things are just going to be peaches and cream. It just you know, doesn't mean that we're just going to automatically fly above the clouds of adversity. That was never promised to us. But we were told in God's Word that if we will be doers of the Word, we can build or create for ourselves an unshakable house or a home whereby we can successfully oppose all the powers of darkness. We can grow to a tree, a strong tree, planted by the rivers of water, and all that we set our hand to do will prosper. Everything we set our hands to touch is going to prosper. And we can successfully oppose the powers of darkness. We can successfully oppose the law of sin and death. And we can be free from that lower law by operating or functioning with the higher law. So it's important we understand that this is truth. And uh, I think the main thing to do is to realize how this law works. To take a closer look at the law, you know, that we need to apply so that it will work. Uh, for us to sit back and just say, well, flying doesn't work, you know, is wrong. Flying does work. Although man himself can't fly, he can fly if he's in an airplane. The airplane flies and, you know, he gets inside of it. Well, you and I, we're no match for the devil. But Jesus is bigger than the devil, isn't he? And Jesus overcame the devil, didn't he? And we are in Him. So in Him we live and move and have our being. So in an airplane, man flies. So in Christ, we fly above the clouds of adversity and trouble. Can you say amen? But outside of Christ, no, you don't fly. As a matter of fact, you're going to come down. See? That's why we have ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs. If we learn how to stay up, we wouldn't have to come down. And if you think about it, that, that plane only comes down when what? When it's not, you know... Uh, having applied to it the law of aerodynamic force or the law of lift. But if those laws are in, in motion and everything is functioning properly and normally, I'll tell you what, it'll defy that law of, of gravity for quite a long period of time till it runs out of gas. But I heard that they're, you know, fuel, they're learning how to or they have found out how they can refuel up there in the sky. So just think about it. Just keep right on going. Just keep right on going. Of course, we don't want to have any engines break down now. I don't know if they could do any work up there like that, but... But bless the Lord, what I'm saying, you get, you get what I'm saying, that there is a higher law, but the higher law is not automatic. It must be appropriated by the individual, divinely appropriated through the wisdom of God. And if we learn how to divinely appropriate by the wisdom of God, the law of the Spirit of life, and get it so working inside of our life that the higher life takes over, then the higher life operating in us will cause us to stand successfully against the lower life, which is the lower law of sin and death. That means we can live on the mountain of victory. And we don't have to be subject to the lower law that defeats us. Well, now, let's take a little bit closer look. If you'll just turn with me. You're close by right now. Just go to Matthew chapter 16. And I want to show you that... Let's go a step further, okay? Let's just expand this a little bit further. And, and let's just say that the law of the spirit of life operates in our spirit. Everybody say, my human spirit. Not my soul my reasoning faculties or my intellect but in my spirit which is the real me. See, the law of the spirit of life operates inside the spirit of the man. The spirit. And here's we, we've had a little bit of confusion between spirit and soul and people have said, well, I've learned the word. I can even quote it. I can quote to you scripture after scripture but I still am defeated in life. Why? Well, because you see, it's not intellectual. See, our spirit contacts spiritual things. The spirit of man, which we, preferably, we may get to touch some of that today, this evening. If not, we'll, we'll touch it, you know, soon enough. 
But I, what I want to show you is that this law, the spirit of life, functions in your spirit. It has nothing to do with your flesh. And the law of sin and death is operating in your flesh. The law of sin and death is operating in the flesh. And if I can go one step further, we can maybe you know, bring more to light. Let's look at it this way. The law of the spirit of life that operates in our spirit is faith working by love. And the law of sin and death that's functioning in our flesh is selfishness or faith working by selfishness. And I want to maybe explain that. You know, maybe last time I said that, maybe some heads were spinning a little bit. You, might, you may have said to yourself, I thought fear works by selfishness. Well, it may in a sense, but what I want to do is I want to maybe bring it out in such a way that we can understand. Either we have faith in God or we have faith in selfishness or Satan. See, you have faith in something. Now, it may be a reciprocal, which would be fear, but faith in self-effort, faith in Satan's words, faith in selfishness. Do you see what I'm saying? I I like to say it that way because I think it it clarifies it. It makes it more clear to us. You can have faith in your own self-effort or you can have faith in Satan's words. See, that's faith in something, not fear. See, you can say, well, I'm sick. And that means you have faith in Satan's words. Because God says you're healed. His word says you're healed. So you see, we either have faith in the sickness or we have faith in in God's word. Faith in it. There's no fear, really. But there's faith in Satan's words or faith in his kingdom. Faith in sickness and disease. You can have faith in that sort of thing. We don't want to have faith in that. Do you want to have faith in that? I don't want to have faith in that. I don't want to have faith in defeat. I'll give you another example. Someone says, every time, you know, November comes around, I always get the flu. You know, and this is only March. Every time never fails, as soon as the fall, as soon as the first cold wind blows, I get the flu. I always get it. I'll be the first one to get it. You watch and see. November comes around, first cold you know, wind comes, and, and they say, well, I've got the flu. Didn't I tell you? Well, you certainly did. You have a lot of faith in it. I don't mind telling you I'm not going to have the flu. Are you? Treat the flu like you treat, treat a bunch of rattlesnakes when they come to your door. Knock on it and try to get in. Say, no, I don't want any. Amen? But you see, there was faith you had in that. So what I want, I want you to see, you can have faith in selfishness. Faith in it. Believe in it. You could have faith in sickness and disease. Believe in it. You could have faith in the flesh. And if we have faith in our flesh, our faith even in our intellect, faith in our senses. See, that is a type of faith that we need to, to, to get rid of. You know, not, not to have dominate the faith we have inside of our spirit because they're two different kinds of faith. So, in this scripture over here, I want you to see that love and selfishness are the two opposing forces. Love, faith working by love, constitutes the law of the spirit of life. And it's that law of lift that keeps us up above the clouds of adversity. But, on the other hand, selfishness, faith in selfishness, or faith that works by selfishness, is or represents the lower law of sin and death that functions or operates inside of our body or our flesh or our senses that keeps us held in bondage that causes us to come back down. See, we want to go up, but that's pulling on us to come back down. We want to fly high in Jesus, but that other law is pulling us down like this here. And the battle's not out there. The battle's here. It's in my spirit. It's in my flesh. 
It's in your life. It's in my life. It's in all of our lives. Someone says, I just, you know, I just want to take off and just be free in Jesus. Well, you can stand fast in the liberty where Christ has set you free, but you see, it's not in the flesh. You're not going to be made perfect by the works of the flesh. It's by the hearing of faith that we got saved. It's by the hearing of faith in our spirit that we begin to walk away or pull away from this law of sin and death or gravity that's down here, you see, to take us up. But see, that law of selfishness working in our flesh is trying to pull us back down. But the law of love that's working in our spirit will cause us to rise up high. Now, look at this scripture. I want you to see something here. Your first step away from the lower life, the lower life. How many of you want the higher life? Okay. Jesus said you're going to have to give up the what? The lower life, the life of selfishness. All right. Where the law of sin and death has its strength. Okay. Now, over here in verse 24 and 25, uh, Matthew 16. And I'm reading again, once again, from the Amplified Bible. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself. Now, the first thing I want you to do is underline that or circle that, and you get a hold of this. Your first step away or off, let's say your takeoff. That plane is getting ready for a takeoff, and it's about to, you know, just to take off. Your first step was to deny selfishness. Isn't that amazing? Deny yourself. First thing to do. Everybody has to do that. Deny yourself. Or destroy selfishness. Take up your cross. And follow me. But let me read it from the Amplified Bible. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself. That is, disregard, lose sight, and forget himself and his own interests. And take up his cross and follow me. Cleave steadily to me, or conform wholly to my example in living, and if need be in dying also. For whosoever is bent on saving his temporal life or his lower life, his comfort and security here shall lose eternal life or the higher life. And whoever loses his life, his comfort and security here, for my sake, shall find life everlasting or the higher life. See, there's two ways to go, the higher life and the lower life. And selfishness will be the strength of the lower life, and love will be the strength of the higher life. And the only way we're going to be able to, to rise above the clouds of adversity is by walking in love or allowing love to dominate the inner man. If selfishness, you know, that operates in our flesh gets a hold of the inner man, you see, and takes a hold of it, it'll hold it captive or keep it in bondage so that we can't, you know, take off or we can't be set free or we can't be in liberty. So the first thing Jesus said that you have to do, not only do you do it right at the beginning initially, but you have to continue to do it. We, the whole Christian experience or the whole Christian life is a life of self-denial. We give up this lower life, not just one time. Not just to say, well, you know, I gave Jesus my life three years ago or four years ago and I'm born again and praise the Lord. No, that's not it. He's talking about a daily dying to self or crucifying of the flesh. I think is a better way to say it. A daily. See, the outward man perishes, but the inward man is renewed day by day. It's a daily process. I deny the outward man daily. Paul says, I die daily. He's talking about that dying out to, to the outward man, to, to its lust, to its desires, to keeping under the body so it does not prevail over the inner man. So you see, he could take off in the realm of love and just be free in Jesus and just, just you know, live in liberty. Well, he says here you have to deny yourself. That is, refuse to grant or give a negative answer to. Deny means to refuse to grant, to give a negative answer to, or to refrain from the gratifications or the desires of the flesh, to refrain from them, to give a negative answer to it. Say, no, I choose to say no to my lower life. That's what we have to do. And really what you're saying is, I choose to say no to selfishness. 
Because selfishness is going to dominate your flesh. It's what you want to do. It's what I want to do in life. It's, 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 it's my rights. It's my ways. I want to do this. But the Lord says, no, I want you to do this. So you see, there's going to be a battle. And I want to show you something here. Go to Second Corinthians chapter 4. And let's take a look at verse 16. Verse 16. And once again, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. Consequently, from now on, we estimate and regard no one from a purely human point of view. I'm sorry, I'm in chapter 5. Chapter 4, 16. Therefore, we do not become discouraged utterly spiritless, exhausted, and wearied out through fear. Though the, our outer man is progressively decaying and wasting away, yet our inner self is being progressively renewed day by day. Now, the, the outer man, which is our body, which is the house in which we live, as we know, is progressively getting older. But the inward man, the spirit of the man, is being renewed day by day. Now, let's read on in verse 18. Since we consider and look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are not seen or unseen, for the things that are visible are temporal. Now, notice Jesus said back there in Matthew 16, He said you have to give up your temporal life. If you're bent on saving your temporal life, and if you want the gratifications of the temporal life, you're going to have to give up the, the um, eternal life or the, the higher life. But if you are willing to give up the temporal or the lower life, then you're going to begin to experience the freedom and the liberties of the higher life or the, the spiritual life. Now, he goes on to say here that the things that are seen, that are visible, are temporal, brief and fleeting, but the things that are invisible are deathless and everlasting. What's he talking about? The things that are seen, the things that are unseen. What's he talking about? We need to look at the things that are you know, not seen. Well, you see, the hidden part of man, he's talking about you, our makeup, me, my makeup, the spirit of man, the soul of man, the body of man, the inner man, the outer man. The inner man is re being renewed. The outer man is decaying. That's the visible man is the man you see. You know, the, the visible man is the man you salute on the street. But the invisible man is the man on the inside, the one we can't see, the one we don't look at. That's why he, look at, he shouldn't have stopped right there and put a chapter 5 and Just read on like as though that chapter 5 wasn't there. For we know that if the tent which is our earthly home, is destroyed, dissolved, we have from God a building, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Here indeed in this present abode body we sigh and groan inwardly because we yearn to be clothed over to put on our celestial body like a garment to be lifted out with our heavenly dwelling. Now see, he's talking about the building of God that's on the inside, which is the spirit of man. That spirit of man is actually a building of God. God has designed it. He recreated it after himself. It's to be conformed to the image of his son. That is the inner man, the unseen man. And the outer man, the man that we see on the street, this body of ours is like the home or the house in which we live. When you walked out of your house to come here to the church this evening, you shut your door and closed it and you left your house behind you. Well, that's like going home to be with Jesus. When we walk out of this body or we you leave this body, we shut the door. This body just, it, it just lies dead. That's it. We leave it. So we are a real spirit being. We are a spirit being that has a soul living in the body. And the spirit of the man contains the higher life, not the body, not the outward man. Now, if we don't do something with this house of ours, if we don't, do, you know, if you just don't take care of your home, you don't take care of your house, you just let it, you let it go and let it run down, it's going to decay and it's going to rot away a whole lot faster. You know, but if you stay around that house and take care of it and do the things that you need to do to it, I think that's a pretty good illustration. 
You know, if you paint your house when it needs to be painted, if you fix the pipes when they need to be fixed, if you take care of the carpeting when it needs to be taken care of and clean it or change it, whatever you do, you ladies know what I'm talking about. If you keep up with it, then, you know, everything will be okay. But if you let that roof go and it begins to rain and the water comes in and, and it just begins to destroy the whole house, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, it's going to be a whole lot you know, more difficult for you to get that thing back in shape. Well, it's the same thing with these outer bodies of ours, the outer man. It's the same thing. The spirit is the keeper of the, of the, of the house or of the home, just like you are the keeper of your home. And whatever we do with that body of ours, you know, we're responsible to, to do the right thing with it. We can either present it to God, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, or we can just let it just run its course, let it do what it wants to do. If it wants to, you know, do the things it wants to do, and we let it do what it wants to do, it's going to overtake us, it's going to overcome us, it's going to destroy us spiritually. And that lower law of selfishness, the law of sin and death, is going to take a hold of us and grab a hold of us, and then, you see, it's going to affect our spirit. And if our spirit gets affected, you know, out of your spirit spring forth the issues of life, then it's going to destroy us. Mentally, it can destroy you. It can destroy you physically also. We don't want that. We want to take a, a closer look at this unseen man. We want to take a, a look at the unseen man, the man on the inside, to find out how to keep that unseen man up there above the clouds of adversity. If we could see how we can do that, if we could know how to do that, beloved, we'll enter into a place or around with God that would just be like a little old oak tree out there. You know, it starts out small. It needs a little bit of help. Maybe in the first few years, the storm's blowing, the winds are blowing and beating, you know, uh, upon that little tree, you put a, maybe a steel post or a stake out there to hold that, that tree up for a while. Well, you know, the storms of life don't change. The winds don't change. The hail doesn't change. The snow doesn't change. It keeps on blowing and the rain and the sleet and everything else just keeps on going. But you let that tree out there for a long period of time, it'll grow into a big old oak tree so strong and so mighty, it won't need to put a stake by it. And the wind hasn't changed. The storm hasn't changed. The problems of life haven't changed. It's the same thing over and over and over and over again. But what happened to the tree? It changed. Talking about your spirit. Your spirit's like a tree planted by the rivers of water that starts out this way, but then, bless the Lord, it begins to grow, it begins to develop through meditating the Word, practicing the Word by day and by night. It shoots out its branches, and all that you do shall prosper in your life. But how does that happen? Well, it may be difficult for you to get started right now. You may need somebody to help you along your way. Maybe a stake put up by your side to help you, you know, in your early part of your Christian experience. But if your spirit will develop and will grow, if your spirit has been given the opportunity to be developed or cultivated and nourished so that it can grow like that oak tree planted by the rivers of water, bless God, I know that we're going to, you know, we'll all get to a place eventually, spiritually, where the same storms of life, all those ungodly diseases, all those things we've been hearing about that at one time you were so fearful of, you'll be able to stand there and look him right in the eye and say, Cancer, you don't frighten me. You don't frighten me. AIDS disease, you don't frighten me. I am a spiritual being. I'm walking in the law of the spirit of life and the power that's inside me is far superior and greater than my faith in the blood of Jesus is far greater than my faith in you to destroy my life, Cancer. You can't do it. So you'll get to a place like that. But sometimes I think we're so naive, and you know, when you first come to hear the faith walk, you think that just because you just got saved, we automatically operate in, in all the blessings. And that's why so many fall away from the faith walk. That's not true. It's not automatic. You, know, you don't just get out there in that airplane and just say, okay, go plane. You better have a pilot in there that knows how to make that plane go and knows how to put those laws into motion and to keep that plane up in the air. And it's the same thing with our spiritual walk. You see, we can't afford to be up there in the air and then start getting into some kind of doubt and unbelief and our engines begin to sputter because the other law is going to do what? It's going to bring us down. It's going to do it. But if we can learn how to operate and function in that law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, it'll take us up above the clouds of glory. Look at Galatians chapter 5. And verse 16. Little did we know this, but the first, the first step we took... Let's say our takeoff, our takeoff 
You know, we're on that, you know, we're out there in uh, maybe a launching pad. We're ready to take off from this system. We're ready to take off from this lower temporal life. It's the new birth. It's being born again. It's the life of God coming in you. But it was based on your decision to do what? To deny yourself. To deny selfishness. To deny that selfishness. And when you deny selfishness, you ask Jesus to come in and love came in. See, selfishness was removed from your spirit and love was replaced or put inside your spirit to recreate. I like to say it like this. You were a being who was, who was selfish because that selfish nature was the life and nature of Satan that was inside your spirit at one time. So was mine. But when God came in and you, you denied selfishness, you came to Jesus and Jesus came along and, and recreated your spirit in love. His love was shed abroad. Now you've got the nature of God inside you. See, the nature of love was imparted to your human spirit. That was your first step away from selfishness, away from the lower life to the higher life, is your walk in love, by love being diffused or shed abroad inside your heart by the Spirit of God that's been given unto us. And when that love came in, it overtook your life. That was your first love. I mean to tell you, remember when you first got saved? I remember. Oh, I loved everybody and anything that moved. I loved everything. Oh, the trees were more beautiful. Flowers were more beautiful. I mean, everybody I saw was more. Enemies were more beautiful. You know, it didn't matter who they were, what they looked like. It's just glory be to God. I'm just so excited. I'm just, you know, so just joyful. I've got this love inside me. Blessed be God. It was the love of God. I should have brought it to my heart by the Spirit of God that was given to me. See, that's how I knew I passed out of death into life because I loved the brethren. I was no longer selfish. I was giving, full of love. That was the nature of Satan and the nature of God. That was the first step. Now, you know what? That step doesn't change. We've got to hold on to that. If, we'll, if we walk away from love, you go, just like that, putting your engines out. But if you get back on the love walk, it'll lift you right up above. And I'll show you that scripturally speaking. Galatians chapter 5. Now, when you took that initial step, you didn't know this, and I didn't know this either as well as I do right now. But that initial step that we took took us right into enemy zones, enemy warfare. Right into a battle zone. Didn't even realize it. See, it's God's intention in the end of all things to eternally separate good from evil. Did you know that? Evil will have its place in the lake of fire and good will have its place in the, in the kingdom of God. And to eternally separate good from evil. Well, if you think about the plan of God and you think about how he, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, let the wheat grow with the tares and then eventually at the end of the time or the end of the world we're going to have the harvest and we're going to put the wheat you know into my barn put them with me but throw the you know all the thorns the thistles and the tares throw them out into the outer darkness they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth and burn them up think about that let them grow together for a while then separate them well that has been actually done inside you and me selfishness is, is still represented in our flesh but love is represented inside our spirit See, not that, not that the body is evil in itself. It's just that what the body was taught to do because of the, the nature that was inside of us. So we can say good is represented inside of us in, in, in the spirit of man. But the warfare is between the good or the, the power of God or the life of God or the love of God that's in us and the selfishness that wants to continue to work or operate in our flesh. But you know what? They're separated in us now and it seems like that we're some kind of being that, that's really all mixed up because inside me I want to do good but outside it seems like the outward man doesn't want to do the things of God. Well, he has separated that initially right now in you and me. He has separated. They're growing together. 
And the thing is, we can develop and grow, and the goodness of God that's in us and the love of God that's in us can overcome and overshadow and keep under and control, you know, the, the, the law of sin and death that operates inside of our flesh. But, you know, there's going to day, gonna come a day when Jesus comes and just takes a hold of us and, and changes even our body. And then the body will no longer be subject to the law of sin and death, but the body itself will also be flooded with the life in immortal body, the light, the love of God. And once again, we'll be brought together as a spirit, soul, and body with one objective, to love. There won't be any warfare. But look at the scripture in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. But I say, walk and live habitually in the Spirit. I'm not going to quote, the Amplified says Holy Spirit, but that's not talking about the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to say Spirit. In the Spirit, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit, then you will certainly not gratify the cravings and desires of the flesh of human nature without God. For the desires of the flesh are opposed to the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are opposed to the flesh, godless human nature. And for these are antagonistic to each other, continually withstanding and in conflict with each other, so that you are not free, but are prevented from doing what you desire to do. See, you don't have any problem at all. Some of you sitting out there right now, you thought that you're not that good of a Christian. That was a lie of the devil. You are born of God. You have the life and nature of God, but it's inside your spirit. And you had a warfare between your spirit and between your flesh. See, the flesh doesn't want to do things of God. It's opposing the law of life that's inside the spirit. But the law of life that's inside of our spirit is opposing the law of sin and death that's trying to work and manifest itself through our flesh. So you see, there's a warfare going on, a battle going on. And if you don't know how to deal with it or don't know anything about it, you know, then, then the flesh through the unrenewed mind, because I don't understand it, could control the human spirit or keep it in bondage. But when I get my mind renewed to the Word of God, then the life that's inside my spirit will, through the renewed mind, control my flesh or keep it under. Paul, who was a great saint of God, said, I even myself have to keep under my body and bring it into subjection to my spirit, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I would be a castaway. What was he saying? My flesh still wants to do bad things. Paul, the apostle, the great one, who wrote two-thirds of this New Testament, said, I still have to keep under my body. Why? Because in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, he said. See, its, its desire is opposed to the desire. And what is the law of lift? It opposes the, the desires of the law of gravity. That's just to bring it down. See? But it successfully opposes it. Why? Because it's a higher law. So the law of love that's been placed inside our spirit, that's represented inside our spirit, is a higher law than the law that's at work inside of our flesh. But because we are more so in the flesh, because we have more so walked in the flesh... You see, we've been used to being more so controlled by the flesh. It's difficult for us to allow the Spirit to express itself. One reason why is because we've not learned how to allow the Spirit to express itself. We've not learned that. But if we'll learn how, if we'll learn how that law operates or how that law works, beloved, it'll take us to a place where we'll soar above the clouds. We'll soar above the adversities of life. We'll soar above the law of sin and death and we'll be controlled by the Spirit of God, by the power of God, by the Word of God, by the love of God and by the nature that's been imparted to our recreated human spirit. If we'll do it, if we'll learn how to do it. And then not just talk about it, not just educate our minds with it, beloved, but learn how to actually walk in it. And that's what I want to get across. Now I want to show you that it's love that does it. Love is the life of the Spirit. God is love and Love, it was the creative force in creation that has given birth to all that is good. God is love. Love emanates or springs forth out of God. And love has given birth to all that is good. Everything that is good, including the recreation of our spirits, the new birth. For God so loved the world that he gave of himself. Out of his spirit, you see, or out of his bosom, all that he touches is, is, is love. 
Love is a creative force. Love is a creative force. But on the other hand, selfishness. Satan is selfish. Everybody say that with me. Satan is selfish. Now, selfishness springs out of Satan. Now, I shared that with you last Sunday morning. In the fall, how did you fall, O Lucifer, star of the morning? How did you fall? Well, you said in your heart. What's the law of faith? You say in your heart. Satan had faith in his word. He had faith in his person. He had faith in himself. And he said with his mouth, I will exalt my throne above the throne of God. He said that. He believed in himself. That's what humanism is. What do you think it springs out of? It springs out of Satan. When a man just takes on the nature of Satan and just believes in himself as Satan believes in himself. That's all it is. He says, I will, I will, seven times. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. He became very selfish. So selfishness is, is the force that emanates and springs out of Satan. It has given birth to all that is evil. All that is evil, it has given birth to. It gave birth to his fall. It gave birth to the fall of man, mankind. It has given birth to every evil thing. It has given birth to every divorce. Selfishness is the cause of every divorce that any couple's ever been through. Selfishness is the main is the cause. It's the force behind it. Selfishness is a destructive force where love is a constructive force or a creative force. But you see, selfishness is a destructive force. Now, if selfishness is operating in the members of our body, if we want to be self-centered or self-willed by saying, I will, I will, or I will not. See, by being self-willed, if we're self-willed, then, beloved, selfishness is a destructive force. It'll get us to come from them clouds all the way down to the ground, just like that. You know what Jesus said? He that exalts himself shall be abased or brought down. But he that humbles himself or considers himself in the sight of himself and the sight of men to be lower in esteem, he shall be what? Exalted. Do you see how that works? If I say I can or I will and I put my selfishness in there, well, then, then he says, you'll be brought down. And that's exactly what, what Lucifer did. He says, I will raise my throne above the throne of God. God says, thou shalt be brought down to the lowest pit. So you see, the force that brought him down was selfishness, being self-centered. You know, once you're born again Christian, if you want to, you can be led by selfishness still. You can. Let's read the scriptures. I'll say that to you. Look at verse 5. I wish those who, who unsettle and confuse you would go all the way and cut themselves off. Verse 13. For you, brethren, were indeed called the freedom. Only do not let your freedom be an incentive to your flesh and an opportunity or excuse for selfishness, but through love. Now notice this. It's more, it's, I know it's, it's more understandable in the Amplified. Don't let your freedom be an incentive to your flesh and an opportunity or excuse for selfishness, but through love you should serve one another. Verse 14. For the whole law concerning human relationships is complied in the one with in the one precept, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another in part of this Christ, be careful that you and your whole fellowship are not consumed by one another. Now we need to get a hold of what that's saying. Because you see, beloved, selfishness is a destructive force. Not only can it destroy human life, it, it destroys Lucifer. It destroys man. It destroys human life. It destroys marriages. It destroys church, church bodies. Like this is. And if, we'll allow, if selfishness is allowed to come in and to reign in a corporate body like this, it'll just bring that corporate body right back down. 
to a place that we're not spiritual at all. The whole Corinthian church was guilty of being unspiritual or being carnal or being body-ruled or sense-ruled. They were self-centered. They were selfish. And that's why he had to give them what we call or refer to as the love chapter. He says, you're going about this whole thing the wrong way. If you'll walk in love, then the Spirit will manifest himself in the manifestations in the gift. If you'll let the Spirit manifest himself through you in love first, then he'll manifest himself in the nine gifts. Okay. Well, let's just read the last verse in chapter 5, verse 26, I do believe it is. Because he goes and contrasts the, the works of the flesh with the work of the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, verse, let's read verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If, we, if by the Spirit we have our life in God, let us go forward walking in line, our con conduct controlled by the Spirit. Let us not become vainglorious. That means we can become vainglorious, doesn't it? Okay, but let us not. And self-conceited means we can become self-conceited. Let's not become p competitive and challenging and provoking and irritating to one another, envying and being jealous of one another. So you see, here's the battleground. Here we see we have a warfare going on. It's a warfare with our spirit and with our flesh. Our flesh wants to do one thing, our spirit wants to do another. And there is opposition there. Your flesh may not have wanted to come to church tonight. You know, but your spirit says you're going to go. Maybe your flesh didn't want to pray on the way in other tongues, but your spirit says you're going. See, there's a battle, there's a warfare going on. Your flesh will never want to do the things of God. That's why it must be kept under and controlled by the life of the spirit. So, Turn with me when I'm saying this to Revelation chapter 2. If, if you're here tonight, and I don't know why, I just kind of sense in my spirit that you are, and you've really had a difficult time, a, a, a terrible time lately in your Christian experience, and you've really been under a sense of guilt or condemnation, you felt as though you've been very displeasing to God, or maybe you felt as though that you were at one time flying above the clouds of glory. You were up there one time, and your spiritual life was just, just A-OK, -okay. and you know, you were just, just floating along in life and just having a blessed time spiritually. But all of a sudden, you say, I've never found it so difficult to walk for Jesus. I've never found it so difficult. I'm, I'm having problems in my, in my experience. I'm, I'm, I'm having condemnation in my life. And I feel like as though I'm just so guilty before God. And I don't know what to do with my life. And I, I just can't seem to get back up there where I once was. I want to show you how God's Word gives us a remedy. And how it shows us how we can know from whence we fell. And from what heights we've fallen. And how to get back to where we once were in Him. Look at Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4. And again, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible because it gives us more to go by. But I have this one charge to make against you, that you have left or abandoned the love that you had at the first. You have deserted me your first love. Now listen to this next verse in the Amplified. Remember then from what height you have fallen. The height. How high? Now what is that law of lift? It takes us up. It's not right down here. It takes us up here. Remember from the height you've fallen. You were up here. You were operating in, in faith, walking by love. It was coming out of your spirit. And, and it, it had you up here, see, above the cloud. But remember from the heights from which you've fallen. Repent or change the inner man. Notice this. Change the inner man. See, it's the inner man. You've not allowed the inner man to produce faith and love. You have kept bottled up. The flesh, you've allowed your flesh or selfishness or your self-will or, or many other things, condemnation, which all spring forth out of selfishness, it doesn't matter what it is. All forces, I think this is the best way to clarify this. Spiritually speaking, to have spiritual understanding, we've got to remember something. Love is of God and it gives birth to all that is good. Selfishness is the, is the destructive force behind 
the fall of man and Satan and all that, and it gives birth to all that is evil. And we separate condemnation, um, guilt, inferiority, all that comes from selfishness. It's all brought forth out of it. But love, right standing, righteousness, health and healing and prosperity and goodness and kindness and meekness and faith, and, and all springs forth out of love. That is the source because God is love and Satan is selfish. Okay? Let's rightly divide the word of truth. Let's make a dividing line between what is good and what is evil. And when you do that, it'll be so easy for you to interpret the Bible. Now do this. Get a hold of your spirit and say, all that is good is represented inside my spirit. The life of God, the nature of God, the love of God, the peace of God, the joy of God is inside me. The flesh, the outer man, the, the man that was taught to do wrong, is trying to contaminate my spirit. See, it does not originate in my spirit. It's trying to contaminate, to put into my spirit wrong things, to put fears, to put words, worry, to put doubt, to put guilt, to put condemnation, to put all that inside. It's trying to do that to me. See, if you'll divide that, if you'll divide your spirit from your body, it'll, it'll help you grow immensely. You begin to see that faith is a product of your inner man, your spirit, the spirit of man, and love also is a product of the inner man. And then you begin to see how to, to protect that, the heart, diligently, so the forces or the springs of life will come out of your spirit. The love of God, the faith of God, the power of God, the might of God, the wisdom of God. If we'll divide that, you see, it'll be a lot easier for us. So he says here, remember, it's the inner man you need to change to meet God's will. And do the works you did previously when you first knew the Lord. Or else I will visit you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you change your mind and repent. So he says to do three things. Number one, remember from the heights you've fallen. Number two, repent and change the inner man. Do something about your inner man. And probably you have to fast and pray and humble yourself before God. You know, fasting does not change God. Fasting changes us. Fasting changes you, fasting changes me. God is the same before we fast, during we fast, while we fast, after we fast, whatever. It doesn't change God. But it's an act of humility that changes you. See, something happens when you fast, when you go on a fast. And when I say fast, I'm not talking about a prolonged fast. I'm talking about a week. I'm talking about even one meal. If you're sincere with God, one, one meal fast or a two meal fast will get you, you know, somewhere spiritual. We may get into fasting and, and some more things that, about fasting that need to be explained. But I want you to see that it's, it's not, the problem is, is, is not you as such. It's our understanding of these laws. It's our understanding of the inner man and the outward man and this divide the two, to separate the two so that we can make a, you know, distinction between what is springing forth out of my spirit and what is springing forth from the, from my senses, from, you know, from the, from the outer man that was taught to do wrong. And then we can protect our heart then diligently, not allow those things to function or to, to, to get a hold inside of our spirit to contaminate our human spirit, to keep us held in bondage. Okay, so this is his formula. He says to remember, to repent, and then do the first work over again. Well, what I want us to do then, as, as we focus in now, remember our focal point now is the spirit of the man. And I have, just as I was meditating the Lord, to bring this out, so I'm going to do that first of all. The hidden man of the heart, the inner man. I want you to go back with me to Mark 11 and verse 25. And I want you to also find Matthew chapter 18. Now, I want you to see something about the inner man that'll, that'll cause the inner man to come down. See, we want to learn how to stay up high. We want to learn how to fly. We don't want to bring, you know, our jet plane down. We don't want to bring our spiritual life down. We want to learn how to stay high and, and above the clouds of adversity. We want to learn how to protect ourselves from, from any calamities in life. We want to learn how to rise up above adversity and trouble. Okay. Now, remember, we're talking about, once again, the law of the spirit of life, the law of sin and death, the higher life, how to keep 
things in, in motion, how to keep that plane up there. Now, Mark 11, remember, faith is a very important force that comes forth out of our human spirit. But in Jesus' teaching on the law of faith, which we love so well, in the next two verses, you're going to find out something very important about how to keep your spiritual life going and, or keep your faith active. And verse 25, I'm reading again from the Amplified. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him and let it drop. Leave it, let it go. In order that your Father who is in heaven may also forgive you your own failings and shortcomings and let them drop. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your failings and shortcomings. Now, some people allow us to enter into their heart, their human spirit, the hidden man of the heart. They allow uh, unforgiveness to settle in or bitterness to become bitter towards people. You know, they hold a, a grudge against uh, an individual. Or they allow things to come in that, that um, they shouldn't allow. Bitterness, envying, or strife, some of the things. But the main thing I want to get a hold of is forgiveness, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness inside the human spirit will bring that thing down so fast. Your faith will be in bondage just like that, and it will bring it down so fast you won't know what it is. You won't know what, where you're coming from. You won't even know what's going on. I mean, when you walk in unforgiveness, you walk right into Satan's domain. You walk right in the darkness. Now, I'm going to show you why in Matthew's Gospel. And let's take a look at chapter 18. And verse 23, or verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often, or how oft, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him for seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of the servants. Now remember, the kingdom is where? In your, in your heart, in your spirit. There's where the law of the spirit of life works. Okay? That's working inside you. Now let's get our attention away from the, the clouds and the, and the ground, the gravity and the law of lift. Let's get it down into spirit and body. Let's get it down inside the spirit of the man. Okay? Well, therefore, as the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king which uh, would take count of his servants, and when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents, or $10 million. A fabulous sum. Some says a quarter million, one said 10 million. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, his wife and his children, and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down. Now, the first of all, let me stop there. How could this man be sold and come up with that kind of money? Especially if he was thrown into prison. Captivity. He, could, he could never pay the debt. Well, the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, I have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, loosed him, and forgave him that debt. debt. Alright? He had compassion towards this person. He forgave him this enormous amount of money. $10 million debt. Let him go. said, I had compassion towards him. You go free. You don't owe me a cent. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant sat down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told him to their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave all, thee all the debt, that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your heart forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Now let's stop there for a minute. 
The $10 million that he's talking about is your salvation, my salvation. He's talking about we owed a debt we could not pay. It was impossible for us. We were guilty of eternal damnation, eternal imprisonment. That was our sentence. That was our verdict. But the Lord had compassion on us and sent his son to die for us so that we can have eternal life. And he paid the debt that we, he canceled out that debt by paying it for us. Jesus did. Now, God has forgiven all of us everything we've done. And in our lives, your life and my life, no matter how small it may seem to be to you or to me, of all that, $10 million, if we want to just use a figure, $10 million is what it represents in your life. $10 million. And the Father forgave all that, wiped it out and says, that's what it was like for you to owe, you know, me. But I wipe it out because I have compassion for you and I cancel the debt. All right? That means all that you've done to sin against him, all that you've done to the Father that was wrong, every sin, anything you can possibly do was represented in that debt and it's all canceled out now. Here's your brother down the street. Okay? And maybe he did something that, you know, particularly you didn't like. Or here's your brother in the church or sister in the church and maybe something uh, happened, you know, that maybe in particular you didn't like. And of course, it could be a very innocent thing. It could be something that was, you know, maybe not even intended. But regardless, you're holding the grudge. You're holding off. That, whatever he did, now it may even be intended. It may be something that he purposely did. That could even be possible. Whatever the case might be, for whatever the reason would be, doesn't matter. If someone has done something against you in the sight of God, whatever that person has done against you is equivalent to $20. And whatever you did against God is equivalent to $10 million. Now, he says, I forgave you $10 million. You won't forgive your brother $20. This is one sin, beloved, that the Lord says, if you're like that in this earth, and I won't forgive you. That should make us take an idea. You know, I've, I've learned that and I have never had a grudge against me. I've told you this before, but I, I mean it with all my heart. I have not allowed my heart to get to a person I have old, held off against another person. I will see to do it. And I've been hurt. And you've been hurt. But I refuse to do it. You know what I mean? I want to rise above the clouds. Holding bitterness, holding unforgiveness, holding ought which means anything, holding anything against any other brother in the Lord, puts us into a position that the Lord says, I won't forgive you. And it's like a $10 million that I forgave you and you won't forgive $20. And he says, you're not but the worst experience going out in your prison. And I'll tell you something, brother. That spoke to my heart when I first heard this and began to walk, you know, I remember many times hearing people write how they wrote down the names of people that they had on against. I said, shame on you. Shame on you. You have on against somebody, you go to your brother. The Bible says to go to your brother. Don't even bring your gift to the altar. You go directly to your brother. You know, God didn't want to excuse you. Think about that. You look at Matthew, turn on the mountain. Jesus said, if you have on against your brother, don't even turn to the altar with your gift. Leave your gift to the altar and go back to your brother. Ask him for gift to forgive you and vice versa. You know, both ways. And then come back and offer your gift unto me. And what is your gift unto the Lord? It's just worship and praise. So here you are. We go right into the presence of the Father. Father, I just love you and I adore you. He says, it's a sin. If I hold off anything against you. And if there's one thing I could say that has caused, I know my own personal life, to be, to be in a position where we could always be 
easy, you know, in a position of seeking God because we have the eye of the Holy Ghost against you now. I just don't want it. Now, are you saying, does your flesh want to? My flesh wanted to? I had one of the hardest battles one time with a brother in the Lord who did something that, that you know, that was really uncalled for. I'm not that type of person. I wasn't that type of person before I got saved, and I'm not ignorant after I get saved. You know, I, I would never be that way. I wasn't ignorant before I got saved. I wouldn't be ignorant after I got saved. But, you know, as well as I do, people just, you know, all like that. They'll do things that are, that are just really wrong. You know. Why? Because it's selfishness. Selfishness, that's why. But I had a battle with it, and I'll tell you what, if I didn't know what I know about faith, I had attempted to hold it up. But I didn't. I said, no, that's just, that's those are thoughts coming to my mind to make me want to feel that way towards this brother. See, feeling, I couldn't want the feeling because if I want the feeling, my feelings wanted to, you know, stand against that person, but I didn't. I said, no, I don't want the feeling. I'm experienced. I hold no guilt. I hold no thought. I hold nothing against my brother in Jesus' name. And I refused. And I spoke to it. I said, you get out of here, bitterness. You get away from me, unforgiveness. I refuse. And the thought would come to me and say, why don't you tell so-and-so what, what so-and-so did to you? I said, no, I won't do that. Because I was so tempted. But I said, no, I won't do that. I won't allow that to enter my spirit. This is the unseen realm, the unseen man, the spirit of man. Now, there are many Christians that hold art. You say, what's art? Anything. Anything. Anything that causes us to treat a brother disrespectfully. Anything. You know, thinking that, I don't care if that person's on TV. If that person's on TV, you even know him personally. Well, I don't just like the way they do that. Brothers and sisters, that's the devil. That's selfishness. That's looking at the outward appearance of somebody. You see, that's all wrong. That'll affect your spirit like that. And Jesus says, your faith, forget your faith. When you stand praying, forgive. If you don't forgive, your Father won't forgive you. And if, if you have sinned, he says, I can't hear. I refuse to hear. So that is something inside the human spirit. If we allow unforgiveness or ought, anything. You say, well, it's anything. I'll tell you what I do. I repent for everything. If I think that I've got to where this, I, I, I've hurt you. If I find out. I found out one thing a year later. A year later, I found out that something happened in a, in a certain family. A year later, and they was upset with me. And I didn't even know it. In the first place, I well, let me just say it to you. I didn't know that, that somebody died in their family. I didn't read the paper. I don't even get the paper. And I wouldn't know because I didn't know the last thing. But they had all against me. How in the world can I do something if I didn't know anything about it? Some people think that, you know, just because you're a preacher, that, that you have a, a hotline to God in such a way that, you know, he flashes everything. That's why I always tell people, call me. Let me know if there's a problem. Let me know if you're in a hospital. Let me know if there's a death in the family, whatever the case might be. But you know what I do? I call on the phone because I want to apologize to you. I want to tell you that I'm sorry. He said, but you didn't do nothing to her or him. What's that thing to do with it? The Bible says you go to a request if they have all against you or if you have all against them. And if they have all against you, then I'll go to that person. And I'll do that. I do it all the time. That'll keep your spirit free. Free from condemnation. Free from unforgiveness. Free from anything. Bitterness. Anything. It'll keep you free. It'll keep you sensitive to the, to the love of God that, that, that takes us up above the clouds of adversity. If we'll do that, constantly do that. And, and if you just, if you sense or you feel like somebody rubs you the wrong way, make a special effort to get to know that person better. Make a special effort to get out there and to do something. To, to, you know, change that situation. Because, beloved, we've been called above anything else to love one another as he has loved us. That is the law that will put us up above the clouds of adversity. Now, we've got to see ourselves in love. 
and we got to allow the love of God that's inside of us, you know, flow through us. But also, we got to look at this inner man in another way. Your inner man, your spirit, is the righteousness of God. There are more believers right now that are held up in bondage. They're so bound up because they're condemned. They feel they don't have enough faith. They feel they don't have a right to approach God. They feel like as though they're not worthy enough. A sense of guilt and condemnation of sin consciousness. And it's only because that that spirit has not been taught law, or taught righteousness. We want to talk about these things. Your spirit is righteous. Even looking at your flesh. Even, even weighing out, you know, your spiritual walk by your flesh. Even looking yourself in the mirror and saying, you ugly thing, you don't, you don't serve God right. You know, you've been so guilty. You're so condemned. So self condemned. And you know what? You're saluting the wrong man. Look inside your spirit. Find out what this Bible says. This Bible is the image. It gives us an image to look into, the image of Christ. Man had to look at that bird, the image of that bird, before he could begin to fly. And you know what? It's not like he thought it was. Man still isn't flying. He had a, a thing to fly in. Here it is. You look inside that, the mirror of God's Word, and you're supposed to find who you are in Christ, not who you are in you. And then when you begin to find out who you are in Christ, and you begin to see that my spirit is righteous, it is holy, it is spotless, it is blameless, and then you put you know, the force of faith to that and see that inside your spirit. And your spirit just begins to be developed in righteousness, right standing with God. And you'll begin to know that, that it's, a, it's, a, it's humbling, you know, because you'll know that I'm but a speck of dust. You know that I am but what? Nothing in, the side, in, in anybody's sight. Who am I? I? I was made of the dust of the earth, a temple full of dust. That, that, that's the body. That's the outward man. We, you know, all that we have is the life of God that's inside of us. And if we didn't have that, we weren't, we're nobody. See, see, we're nobody in ourselves, but in Christ, we're everybody. In Christ, we have everything. In Christ, we are the righteousness of God, the actual right standing of God. We have a right to stand before the Father's presence without a sense of guilt, inferiority, sin consciousness, condemnation. If that gets inside your spirit, it'll bring you straight down. It'll cause your engines to stop right there. Now, the devil will use anything and everything to get from the outward, you see, pressing us to get us to a place. He'll condemn you because, well, you got up today and the first thing you did was brush your teeth. You didn't say, hallelujah to Jesus. So, for the rest of the day, he's on your back telling you, why, you unrighteous things, you, you can't go to God today. You put other things first. You put that before God. Get a hold of that and, and realize that's a lie of the devil. Put that behind you and you begin to start to say that, bless God, it's Jesus that's in, living in me. Jesus is the righteousness that's in me. He has become my righteousness. God has become my very own righteousness. And I'll never be more righteous than I am right now. Maybe more righteous causes, but never be more righteous. You'll never be more of a woman than you are. Wait. And that's what righteousness is. You'll never be more righteous than you are right now. You are the righteousness of God. That's how righteous you are. If that would ever dawn on our hearts, in our hearts, if that would ever rise up inside of us, beloved, it'll change our whole walk. These are the forces, like the engines, the jet engines, that have got to be springing forth out of us. Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, righteousness, faithfulness, faith, all those spring out of our spirit. And if we'll keep our spirit clean, if we'll keep our spirit fed and nurtured and developed in such a, such a way that, that these forces are constantly being poured forth out of us, you'll find yourself up there so, so long you may forget to come down and take care of this natural man for a while. It'll happen to you. You'll be so caught up in spiritual things. I want us to all stand for a minute. We're not done yet, but just stand for a minute. We can shut that tape off. Thank you for listening to our Legacy Teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. 
Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.